Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I keep wanting to like, baby, baby, the way that Biggie did it. Like, it's so good. And I do remember, this is kind of neither here nor there, but it was ridiculous. I was waiting for my Panera order at Panera. And there were all these little kids from like a soccer group, I think. Like it was on a weekend and they had just played maybe a soccer game. They were waiting for their food. And there was a little girl and their group called named Izzy. And they were like, Izzy, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. And I'm like, you guys are eight years old. The kids were singing that? Yes. Oh my God, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Izzy, Izzy, Izzy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. Yeah, it was probably nine years ago, but I was like, oh my God. Wow. Those Mm -hmm. kids are badass. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. So it pertains to what we're talking about, so I can sing something. Totes, (laughs) yeah. All right, so last episode, we got into kind of the history of Tupac and Biggie their friendship, which turned into a rivalry. Yeah, and kind of where that beef all started. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't listened to that already, definitely go back. Now we're going to get into everything else. Biggie's career, their tragic deaths and investigation and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at KillerQueensPodcast. And we're on YouTube at KillerQueens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Guys, we're back. Oh my God, we're back. Yeah. Hey, if it's been um, only like five minutes, we missed you already. And if it's been a week, we missed you already. I know. Before we get to today's case, which is a part two and a doozy, if we say so ourselves, we wanted to let you know about a freebie that we've got. You can head to killerqueens.link slash innocence, I-N-N-O-C-E-N-C-E. And we just dropped yesterday our part one of the series Innocence Files on Netflix. We're covering that on our show called Doc Jams on Patreon. But we wanted to share episode one with everybody. It's a fantastic series, and we just wanted to give you guys a little taste of the Doc Jams. So go to killerqueens.link slash innocence, and you can get part one of that series. It's a nine part, uh, covers a multitude of cases. And that gives you a little taste of our Patreon. And if you decide to join for about 33 cents a day, you can have three brand new Killer Queens episodes each week and over 150 full-length bonus episodes to download and binge right this second. We've covered other series on there. 
We do what we call a murder mixtape on Wednesdays. You get just a bonus case every Wednesday. So definitely check it out. I mean, it's less than what you pay for a surge. So, um, or a six pack of surge probably, but check it out. Go to killerqueens.link slash innocence for your free episode. After Big was released from jail for selling drugs in North Carolina, he headed home and started to record music. He made a mixtape, Microphone Murderer, but didn't expect anything to come from it. A local heard the tape, though, and promoted it wherever he could. Eventually, it was heard by Maddie C., an editor for The Source magazine. There was an unsigned hype section that put artist, unsigned artists on display to try to get their names out there. Biggie was able to spin that attention into making a demo tape, and that demo tape would change his life forever. The demo was heard by a young Sean Combs, a.k.a. Puffy, a.k.a. Diddy, a.k.a. P. Diddy, a.k.a. <laughs> all the things, yes. who immediately set out to sign Biggie to Uptown Records, whom he worked for at the time. In 2017, Puffy recalled their first meeting. He said that he brought Big to a local soul food restaurant called Sylvia's. This place is one of the meccas of soul food. People came to New York from all over the world for it. He said that when they sat down, he asked Big if he wanted to eat, but he said no. I realized that's how big this moment was for him. This was really his dream. He couldn't even eat. He just wanted for this to really happen, and it happened. It was all a dream. Hmm. Within months of signing, Big was on track with Heavy D and the boys, but within a year, Puffy was fired from Uptown Records. Within a week of his firing, Bad Boy Records was created, and Big was immediately signed. In August of 1993, Big welcomed his first child, the mother of which was a longtime girlfriend, but the two had separated when Tiana was born. As a high school dropout, Wallace promised his daughter everything she wanted in his reasoning that if he had the same in childhood, he would have graduated at the top of his class. Although he was signed to a label and had a few lines here and there on tracks, Big was still dealing drugs off and on throughout this time. Once Puffy found out, he told him that he needed to either be in or out. He couldn't have one foot in each world. It's said that this is when Big stopped dealing for good. Around this time, Biggie was working with Mary J. Blige, LL Cool J, Busta Rhymes, and other people, but he ran into a little trouble. He'd been going by the name Biggie Smalls on all these records and songs, but that name was taken by Calvin Lockhart in the 1975 film Let's Do It Again. Lockhart sued Biggie to stop him from using Biggie Smalls, and Notorious B.I.G. was born, although Biggie is a common referral as well. It's so funny to me because I saw on the Biggie, I got a story to tell in an interview. He's like, yeah, you know, like Biggie Smalls is out. It's wet. It's not happening anymore. Like we're done with that. And they show a clip of this guy who goes by Biggie Smalls from that film. And I'm like, get over yourself, man. Like your time is is over. Let him have it. Like who, what are you going to do with that? Who knows you? Yeah. So it was, I mean, it was in a movie, so mm-hmm. I mean that's that actor. Yeah, that's not what he goes by now, right? I who knows like, who knows Calvin Lockhart exactly. It's like dude, I'll wait. Yeah, if somebody can actually use it, you know. Yeah, maybe you need to get off your high horse, dude. Nobody knows you. Yeah. Who cares? Exactly, jerk. <laughs> In 1994, Big had a photo shoot with other bad boy artists, and this is where he met Faith Evans. After just eight days of knowing one another, the two got married. Jesus. Yeah. Five days later, Juicy Unbelievable, Big's first project as a solo artist, made it to 27 on the Billboard charts as the lead single for his upcoming album. Big's only album released while he was alive was titled Ready to Die. I 
am like blown away by the like almost foreshadowing of his album names. Well, I mean, my God, same thing with Tupac because he was going to start a record label called Euthanasia. Oh. And he had a chain with this piece on it that had the angel of death on it. Hmm. And the night that he died, sorry, we might get into this. The night that he died, he was wearing it. Was that the death row chain that Suge gave him or a different? I think he bought it for himself, but I think, yeah. Because I know he had a death row chain too, Mm -hmm. but yeah. And then like, so this album, Ready to Die, and then his other album that released after he passed away was called Life After Death. Mm -hmm. Like just like so... It's so scary. Yeah. I mean, it's eerie. Yeah, it's super eerie. It's crazy. So, Ready to Die was released in September of 1994 and reached 13 on the Billboard charts. It would eventually be certified platinum four times, four million copies sold. The album featured the hit Big Papa and shifted the focus from West Coast rap to East Coast at a time when West Coast rap was dominating the charts. It was around this time that Big met Tupac and their friendship blossomed. At the Source Awards in August 1995, Big was named Best New Artist, Solo, Lyricist of the Year, Live Performer of the Year, and his debut album of the year. At the Billboard Awards, he was Rap Artist of the Year. I mean, these guys are just like taking the world by storm. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's around this time that the shooting of Tupac takes place in Times Square and Tupac is sentenced to time in prison. So, you, you know, it's kind of like all these things are running concurrently and yes you know we're kind of separating them out here oh yeah all right let's talk about fucking suge knight (laughs) yeah while tupac was in prison appealing his conviction he claimed that he only wrote one song and he instead focused on reading he read the works of machiavelli and sun tzu's art of war he couldn't post bail because he was broke his mom was about to lose her house on tupac's behalf his wife keisha morris reached out to Suge Knight and De- of Death Row Records and told him what was going on and that he needed help financially. Knight arranged for Tupac's mother to receive $15,000 and began to visit Tupac in prison. A quick detour to find out who Suge Knight is. So, or let's take a detour. How about that? Yeah. So Suge Knight is one of the co-founders of Death Row Records and was at the center of the movement that brought hardcore gangster rap to mainstream audiences. Before starting Death Row, though, he was a promoter and founded a music publishing company. His first big profit came from, you're never going to guess it. Do you think you can guess it? I mean, I know it, but do you guys know it? It's Vanilla Ice. (laughs) Ah. The song Ice Ice Baby had used material written by one of Suge's clients and supposedly Ice agreed to give Suge the royalties from the song. Suge and his bodyguards would confront Ice several times, and there is a story that's floated around the music industry for a while. So the story goes that Suge and a couple of his guys broke into Ice's hotel room one night and hung him by his ankles from the balcony while demanding their money. Ice claimed that never happened, only that Suge threatened to throw him from the balcony. So, no big deal. I mean, yeah. Whatever Suge had to do to get money, and like anybody he worked with or whatever, like... He was going to get as much money as possible. So he was just going to dick you over like he didn't care. I don't know that Ice was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you the royalties from my, like my song. Like, doubtful, dude. Right. But he was like, I'm going to take it anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Through his publishing company, Suge met members of NWA and learned that Dr. Dre and the DOC, another rapper, wanted to leave NWA and they wanted to leave the record label run by 
fellow NWA member Eazy-E. Shug and his men threatened Eazy-E and others with lead pipes until they agreed to release Dr. Dre and DOC from their obligations mm-hmm. and let them sign where they wanted. Pretty sure that's not how it typically... I mean, I don't know. What do I know? But it seems a little much. I think I'm not using enough lead pipes. Well, clearly. Yeah, because it seems to get the job done. Yeah. Oh, it gets results. That's for sure. Just look at Clue. That's true. Almost immediately, Dr. Dre, the DOC, and Knight formed Death Row Records. Knight is known throughout the industry as someone you don't fuck with. I completely understand why. Mm -hmm. I think it is interesting, Dr. Dre and the DOC, and I'm sure they're like, you know, indebted to Suge Knight, but I'm also like, why would you go into business with him? Like, Death Row Records has been, it's huge. It's a mammoth of a record industry, a record company, but still. like, I think too, though, Suge would do stuff like, you know, like with Tupac, he started giving him money. Mm-hmm. Like with Dre and DOC, he got them out of their contract that they wanted to get out of. And now he holds that over their heads. Yeah, he, like, they're okay, indebted to him. Owe me. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, you're stuck with his ass. Yeah. So let's just go ahead and suffice it to say that Knight had, had, has had several run-ins with police over the years. The story isn't about him, though, even though he is currently serving 28 years in prison on manslaughter charges. But we got to bring it back to Tupac. So Tupac's in prison and Suge starts visiting him. These visits were pretty much just Suge's way to convince Tupac to sign with Death Row Records. In exchange for a three-album deal, Suge could get Tupac out of prison and back in the studio. Tupac agreed, and Suge got the ball rolling by posting his $1.4 million bond. In August 1995, Suge visited Tupac while they were waiting for him to be released. And after that visit, he headed to New York City for the second annual Source Awards ceremony. While there, Suge had the opportunity to be on stage with a microphone. And he used the little time he had to belittle and berate Puffy. Closing his rant by inviting any rappers who wanted to make a name for themselves to leave their current label and join Death Row. I mean, they do not even try to sugarcoat anything. No, and they will be right in your face like a fucking pit bull. Yeah. Just, yeah. And Puffy was there, wasn't yes. he? Yes. And like, he's like, yeah, and if you want to join a label where your uh, producer isn't, doesn't have to be in every single one of your videos and have to be in every single one of your songs, then you right. can come here. And I'm like, oh, shit. Right, exactly. It's just so insane. It's in a time before Kanye (laughs) was like, hang on, I'm going to let you finish, but let me just say this real quick. (laughs) Yeah. After the ceremony, Suge went to Uptown Records, the place where Puffy got his start in the music industry via an internship. At this point, Suge was known for his strong arm tactics, and after meeting with Uptown Records founder Andre Harrell, Suge was able to get a few of Puff's prime Uptown recruits without paying anything for their releases, including Jodeci and Mary J. Blige. Damn. I know. Those are some heavy hitters, too. Yeah. Next, in September of 1995, Suge and his crew were in Atlanta for a party for Jermaine Dupree at a local nightclub. And I'm sure the party didn't start or didn't stop till eight in the morning. No, of course not. No. Puffy was at the club as well, and witnesses said that he and Suge got into a heated exchange. It was heated enough that when they were outside the club for a few minutes later, one of Puffy's bodyguards and childhood friends aimed a gun at one of Suge's bodyguards, Jay Hassan Jamal, uh, he went by Big Jake, Robles, and fatally shot him while he was entering Suge's car. Lawyers for both Puffy and his bodyguard denied any accusations, and Big Jake's murder was never solved. 
although Suge adamantly blames it on Puffy. This furthered the divide between the East and West Coast rap rivalry. This is what I was like, just like every single time they run into each other, it's like guns have to come out. Like, yeah. And so many lives were ended just based on like a beef in your 20s. You know what it kind of reminds me of? And I think that I'm hearkening it back to Tupac's early years when he was in Shakespearean plays. It's like Romeo and Juliet. Oh, mm-hmm. Like, especially in the one with the Boz Lerman's Romeo and yeah. Juliet. Every time the Capulets see the, oh my God, why am I forgetting their name? The Capulets and the Montagues. Yes, Montagues. Every like, time guns are drawn. Every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just like, again, just if your emotions run, like dictate your actions, mm-hmm. some stupid shit's going to happen yeah. because your emotions lie. Like, yeah, exactly. they are not sound and rational. Exactly. In October of 1995, everything finally went through for Tupac to be released from prison. Some people said that when Tupac got out of prison, he seemed like a completely transformed person. After being released as part of his three-album deal, Tupac immediately began work on his fourth studio album, All Eyes on Me. The album was released in February of 1996 and was rap's first double-disc album, meaning it qualified as two of the three albums required per Suge and Pac's agreement. All Eyes on Me rocketed out of the gate, selling over 550,000 copies in its first week. It reached the top spot on the Billboard 200 and R&B's hip-hop charts. In 1997, it won Rap Album of the Year at the Soul Train Awards. This album, featuring the single California Love, went certified diamond in 2014 with over 10 million sales and as of 2019 has over 11 million copies sold. Rolling Stone said that the album, it's like a California thug version of Pink Floyd's The Wall, pure gangsta emo run amok over two CDs. Wow. I know. I'll take it. Yeah. Tupac's fifth and final studio album would be entitled The Don Killuminati, The Seven Day Theory, usually referred to as The Seven Day Theory. It was written and recorded in seven days in August of 1996. The lyrics were written and recorded in three days, and the other four days were for mixing the album. That is like incredible. An entire album written and recorded in three fucking days. Did they sleep? Probably not. No, I know that they couldn't have. I mean, that's insane. But I feel like both Tupac and Biggie were machines when it came to music. Yes, absolute machines. Yeah. Tupac would not be alive for the album's release, though. Just a few weeks later, he would be dead. September 7th, 1996, Tupac and his entourage are in Las Vegas to celebrate a business partner's birthday. While they're there, they planned on going to the Bruce Seldon versus Mike Tyson heavyweight fight with Suge Knight at the MGM Grand. Shortly after Tupac got out of prison, he and his wife split, having their marriage annulled. They got married when he was in prison, and she later recounted that she thought it was just to give her name more credentials when she went to ask for favors for him and his family. He had begun dating Kadeda Jones, which is the daughter of music industry mogul Quincy Jones and sister of Rashida Jones from The Office and Parks and Rec. Kadeda was in Vegas with them that night as well, but she did not attend the fight. They did use her car, however, and when they left the fight, Tupac's bodyguard, Frank Alexander, was told not to ride with him, but to drive her car instead. And he said that when he got into that car, it was like on empty. And he was like, how it did not die is beyond him. (laughs) Like it was just, it was like the gaslight was on forever. And he was like, I don't know, it was some like act of God that it didn't die. 
Yeah, like, thanks, guys. Cool. That's how I feel every time I use Andrew's car. Yes, that's true. He He's really good at, like, making sure it's completely on empty. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to let Tori use my car today. Yeah, and then I fill it up. And he's like, oh, you didn't have to fill it up. I'm like, what do you think I was going to do? Flintstone my ass everywhere? Like, I had to put gas in it. Whose problem is that? Not his. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Leading up to the shooting, Tupac, Suge, and their crew went to the Tyson fight, which Tyson won in the first round. <laughs> After the fight, they began to exit the arena and they go into the casino. Okay. So as they're leaving, one of their entourage saw a man in the lobby, a known noted crip, Orlando Baby Lane Anderson. Okay. <laughs> There's another story here. So Orlando Anderson had sometime before this had run into some of the people of like Suge's entourage outside of a mall, mm -hmm. I think. And so like they're coming out, Orlando and his people are coming in or whatever. And Suge had given that death row chain to his like close people in his inner circle or whatever. So Orlando sees this chain around one of the dude's necks and snatches it off of him. And like they get in a big fight and all this stuff, but he takes the chain or he tried to. I don't know that he actually got it. Now there is beef with Suge, his entourage, and Baby Lane. So flash forward to the Mike Tyson fight. Suge, Tupac, their crew are leaving. They see Baby Lane out in the casino and Tupac runs over and just starts beating the shit out of him. And so then they all jump on him. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like this huge fight, beat down, whatever. And you can see this on surveillance footage. The whole thing is caught on surveillance footage. So you see Tupac run over, start the fight or whatever. A bunch of people go in and help and they're just all like kicking him on the ground and all kind of stuff. And then when it's over, <laughs> it's really funny to see Suge Knight. You know that like... When you're like, ooh, I got to hurt. Like you're doing that really fast, brisk walk. Like nothing to yes, see here. Yes. Just trying to get out really fast. Like he's huge. He's like six five or, or even taller than I don't remember. And a bigger guy. He's a huge guy. And watching him do that, like, oh, trying to get out of here as fast as I can walk. <laughs> it's like really funny. But they try to get out and they're walking as fast as they can. But as they're going through, people are noticing that it's Tupac. And it literally looks like, like Greg Kading, the detective who reopened the case or was part of the task force later, said it's literally like a human vacuum. I mean, he's just like attracting all these people. So as he's walking through, it's like whoosh, all these people come up and like kind of surround him and almost like provide this like human barrier of like where he just kind of gets mixed into the crowd and then he, they do end up leaving. It's crazy. <laughs> They leave the casino. They go back to the hotel, and that's where Tupac saw Kadeda. He changes clothes, and he's getting ready to go to Suge Knight's Club 662, and he's supposed to perform there. And she wanted to go, too, and he's like, no, it's too dangerous tonight. Like, I think you should stay here. He knew that he had just gotten in this fight. He knew that there was going to be, you know, added fuel to the fire kind of thing, and he's like, you stay here just to be on the safe side. They get into a black BMW with bodyguards, but the bodyguards were not armed since they couldn't get the necessary permits to carry weapons. There's just so many things that like, you know, bodyguards with no weapons and like, I don't know, all the stuff. It's just like the perfect storm kind of thing. Yeah. 
So Tupac's personal bodyguard, like we said, was not in the car with them. He was driving Kadeda's car. I'm not really sure why they wanted to take that car. I have no idea. All I know is that Frank, the bodyguard, said that Tupac was like, you need to take that car. Yeah, it's it's very strange. I'm not really sure why that... Yeah, Frank said that he had his gun in his car, but Tupac wanted him to take that car, so that's what he took. Yeah, super strange. I mean, I'm sure they had a reason. I just, I don't know what it is. And I don't know that anything would have been different, but maybe, you know, Frank could have, at the very least, returned fire and stopped some of the shots. And I don't oh, know. Shot but, of the tires or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So they get caught. They leave Suge's house and then they go out and they're like driving down, I guess like the Vegas Strip. They're trying to get to the club. Yes. Around 11 p.m., a bike-mounted police officer stopped the car because they were playing loud music and the vehicle didn't have plates on it. And their music was so loud that in on the Strip in Vegas, it was like violating the noise ordinance. Which <laughs> so is like, insane because any Strip, especially the Vegas Strip, that does not stop again until 6 in the morning. Mm-hmm. For a car's like music system to be drowning that out is insanity. Exactly. Yeah, it was pretty damn loud. So after a quick search, they found the plates in the trunk and the officer let them leave without a ticket. Suge was driving and Tupac was in the passenger seat and they stopped at a stoplight around 11.15 p.m. And apparently, I mean, there's an iconic photo. It's the last photo taken of Tupac alive. Because they're in heavy traffic, right? Mm -hmm. So they're driving down the strip. They're in all this traffic. And these girls in a car next to them are like, oh my God, it's Tupac. It's Tupac. Look, it's Tupac. And like their windows are down and they're yelling and all this stuff. And they said that Tupac and Suge were like, hey, we're going to this club. Why don't you follow us? Like, come with us or whatever. And in one of the theories that we'll get to, it is the girls yelling out, and they snap a picture of him, but yelling out that Tupac is next to them in traffic that alerted the shooters to where he was. And Mm. that's how they found him. But a white four-door late model Cadillac pulled up on the passenger side and just opens fire. Tupac was hit four times, once in the arm, once in the thigh, and twice in the chest. One bullet passed through his right lung. Suge was hit in the head with bullet fragments. The first officer on the scene was Chris Carroll. In an interview with Rolling Stone in 2014, he revealed what Tupac's final words were. He says, So I grabbed him with my left arm and he falls into me and I've still got my gun in the other hand. He's covered with blood and I immediately noticed that the guy's got a ton of gold on, necklace and other jewelry. All of his gold is covered in blood. That has always left an image in my mind. And as Suge is yelling, Pac, I look down and realize that this is Tupac Shakur. Elsewhere in the Vegas 7 story, Carol says he attempted to get a, quote, dying declaration of a potential suspect from Shakur, but the rapper was ignoring him at first. So he goes on to say, quote, and then I saw his face and his movements. All of a sudden, in the snap of a finger, he changed. He went from struggling to speak, being non-cooperative, to an I'm at peace type of thing, just like that. And that's when I looked at him and said one more time, who shot you? I thought I was actually going to get some cooperation, and then the words came out, fuck you. I mean, Tupac was Tupac till the end, right? Yes. <laughs> it's like through and you. through. Yeah. When he was asked why he came forward with this information after so long in 2014, Carol, since retired, said, it's been almost 18 years. There's clearly never going to be a court case on this, which sucks. Mm-hmm. 
Tupac was rushed to University Medical Center of Southern Nevada, where he was sedated and put on life support. In the ICU six days later, he succumbed to his wounds and died from internal bleeding. The official cause of death was respiratory failure and cardiopulmonary arrest associated with multiple gunshot wounds. At the age of 25, Tupac Shakur died and the music industry lost an icon. In November of 1996, Death Row Records released the seven-day theory to critical acclaim. It hit number one on the charts and was certified platinum four times. Damn. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so we are going to go back to Biggie and we're going to talk about specifically the years 1996 and 97. In 1996, Biggie had some run-ins with police. In March, he was arrested outside of a nightclub for chasing some fans who were asking for an autograph. He smashed the windows of their taxi and punched one of them in the face. He pleaded guilty to second-degree harassment and was sentenced to 100 years. <laughs> wow, that's excessive. <laughs> excessive. Don't punch fans in the face. Exactly. You get 100 years for that shit. <laughs> he was sentenced to 100 hours oh. of community service. What a hilarious misunderstanding. I know. Although I don't under, like, I couldn't find anywhere why he got so mad at them. Yeah, who knows? Because he seemed very, like, in every other instance, he seemed very much, like, about the fans. Appreciative. Yeah. So I don't know if they, like, said something or, you know, did something or I don't know, but it just, I felt like it was out of character. Like, it was just, maybe he was having a rough day. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. In mid-1996, he was arrested in his home in Teaneck, New Jersey for drug and weapons possession charges. Then Tupac was killed in September. The rumor mill ran amok. Amok, 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 amok. Yes, exactly. And many thought that Biggie had something to do with it. One rumor was that he had supplied the murder weapon to a crip who pulled the trigger. Faith Evans, Biggie's wife, recalled receiving a phone call that night from him crying from shock. She said, I think it's fair to say that he was probably afraid given everything that was going on at the time and all the hype that was put on this so-called beef that he didn't really have in his heart against anyone. In October of 1996, Evans gave birth to Christopher C.J. Wallace Jr., Biggie's second child. The following month, Lil' Kim, a member of the Junior Mafia, Biggie's group of protégés, released their first album. Biggie produced the album for her, and while they were recording, the two had an affair. Throughout 1996, Biggie worked on his second album, Life After Death. While working on it, he was in a car accident, which left him in the hospital for a time and forced him to use a wheelchair and later a cane to get around. In February of 1997, he traveled to California to promote his upcoming album, Life After Death, and record the video for the single Hypnotize. While there, he went to various radio stations and did interviews here and there to promote the album. He also went to the Soul Train Music Awards and presented an award to Tony Braxton. During the presentation, he was booed by the West Coast rap fans. Biggie had stated in an earlier interview that he had hired bodyguards while he was there, but that was more to do with his celebrity status than being a rapper. After the award show, he attended an after party at the Peterson Automotive Museum. Guests included Faith Evans, Aaliyah, Combs, and members of the Crip and Blood Gangs. Around 12.30 a.m., the fire department came in and shut the party down due to overcrowding. Biggie left with his entourage in two GMC Suburbans to make their way back to the hotel they were staying at. He rode in the passenger seat while Greg G. Money Young drove. Puffy traveled in another SUV with three bodyguards. A third vehicle was in their group, which was a Chevy Blazer, and it was driven by Bad Boy Records head of security Paul Offord. 
why did they not? But, Puffy's got three bodyguards. Yeah, no one's the in there with of security in a yeah. Why do we not have somebody with Biggie that's no idea of that status? Yeah. I don't know. There's so many little like I don't know if it's coincidences or if it was right. yeah, yeah. for both of their murders. I don't know. At 12:45 a.m., Biggie's SUV stopped at a red light 50 yards from the Peterson Automotive Museum, and a black Chevy Impala pulled up alongside it. The Impala's driver rolled down his window, drew a nine-millimeter blue steel pistol, and fired at Biggie's car. Biggie was struck by four bullets and was rushed to the Cedar Sinai Medical Center. It's so ironic, too. I don't know if ir- irony is the right word, but that both of them were struck both four, four times. Yeah. yeah. Once there, doctors performed an emergency thoracotomy. I think so. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of that. So, thoracotomy. At 1.15 a.m., he was pronounced dead at 24 years old. His autopsy, which was revealed 15 years after his death, showed that only the final shot was fatal. It entered through his right hip and struck his colon, liver, heart, and left lung before stopping at his left shoulder. God. Biggie's second album, Life After Death, was released 16 days after his death as scheduled. Again, it was number one on all the charts, and Biggie was named Artist of the Year by Spin Magazine in 1997. Life after death. I mean, I just, I, I cannot with that. It's no. like uncanny. No. And released 16 days after he dies. Like, that is so crazy. Right. All right. So let's get to some theories. The main and most likely event that led to Tupac's death can be linked to the MGM casino after the Mike Tyson fight. According to some, his murder was a direct result of the attack on Crip Orlando Anderson after the fight. After the beating he received, he got a group together and they shot Tupac out on the Vegas Strip. According to an LA Times article written by Chuck Phillips, the shooting was carried out by a Compton gang called the Southside Crips to avenge the beating of one of its members by Shakur a few hours earlier. Orlando Anderson, the Crip whom Shakur had attacked, fired the fatal shots. Las Vegas police interviewed Anderson only once as a possible suspect. He was later killed in an unrelated gang shooting in 1998. And I feel like as far as Tupac's murder goes, to me, this makes the most sense. I think it does. I mean, goodness gracious, like, goodness gracious. (laughs) Everything we're talking about, and I'm like, well, I mean, all swanny, you know? I know. (laughs) Yeah. No, bullshit. Like, it's, it, this is insane because, so they just had a physical altercation, not even just a screaming match, not just a, hey, you bumped into me. They mm-hmm. had a physical altercation hours before this happened. He was questioned by MGM. He was let go like two hours before the killing happened. That was a quote from one of the investigators. Mm-hmm. So, why wasn't he questioned further when he's the last known link to an a violent attack? It was against him, but still, that would give right. motive. Exactly, because what's going to happen is when all of his like fellow Crips find out that he's been disrespected, beaten in front of people, mm-hmm. like those things do not stand. Mm-mm. Like you cannot get away with that kind of shit. And they didn't care that he's a celebrity. Mm-mm. Like, because at this point, Tupac is in with Suge's crew who are associated with Bloods. Mm-hmm. So there's a rivalry there. Mm-hmm. It's already volatile. You know what I mean? Well, sure. And Suge has a very, it's known that he has a huge temper and mm-hmm. will do whatever the fuck he wants to do to get whatever he wants. Yes. He, there are no cares given there. 
mm-mm, mm-mm. Shug has zero fucks to give. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, it just makes so much sense that Baby Lane is going to go to his, you know, he had family in town there because wasn't Keefe D his uncle? I think so. I think uh, Baby Lane was Keefe D's nephew. So Keefe D comes up in the investigation as being part of the Southside Crips. He's in, I believe, he's in Vegas at the time. He tells police later on, like after the task force is open 10 years later to reinvestigate the the Biggie murder, that he's in Vegas. Baby Lane tells them, hey, these guys beat the shit out of me. Because they, they, I think they were like having dinner and they had no idea this was going on. But they find out mm-hmm. and they're like, well, we're going to fuck him up then. Yeah, like, we're not, he's not going to get away with this. Yeah, we cannot let him get away with it. Yeah. And so apparently they didn't have any weapons on them. Like they didn't, they said it was not a premeditated killing, that they they didn't go to Vegas with the plan of that happening. It's just, you know, while it was there, it ended up happening. And that somebody else that they were with, I fr- there's so many players like in all of mm-hmm. these, you know, somebody else that they were with was like, okay, well, I've got a gun on me like I always do. Well, everybody's got an entourage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They had rented this Cadillac while they were there. So they get in the car. They start driving around, but they can't find him because they went directly to 662 is, is Keefe D's story because they knew that he was going to be there performing. But they go to 662 and they're waiting on him and he doesn't show up. And so they're like, well, fuck, like, where is he? I thought he was supposed to be here. So they go to the liquor store. They buy some liquor and they're all just like driving around, just like sipping on whatever they've got. And that's when they hear those girls say, oh my God, it's Tupac, it's Tupac. Look, it's Tupac. And they're like, there he is. And they see, so they flip a U-turn like right in the middle. But if this story is true, there's got to be witnesses that say, I saw the Cadillac flip a U-turn. Right. And the only thing that I heard from Frank, the bodyguard, was that there was somebody who was part of their entourage in the front, then Suge Knight and Tupac right behind him, and then Frank was behind. Mm-hmm. And apparently those girls that had seen him and they said, you know, they said that Tupac and Suge were like, come, you know, come follow us. Like, we're going to the club. You can come with us or whatever. They had asked them to get into the the caravan, you know, they were like, here, mm-hmm. pull in and we'll we'll all go together or whatever. And that cut Tupac and Suge's vehicle off from Frank. So now they've got a vehicle in between them. Mm-hmm. And right before the Cadillac pulls up, they get out of the caravan because they're like, uh, we're in the middle of a security. It's kind of weird. And they were like, we know where 662 is. We'll just meet him there. Like, it's not that big of a deal. We'll just go on ahead. So they pull out and, you know, they're in the, because there's like two lanes going straight, I think. They pull into the other lane and they go up to the light. And then Tupac and Suge's car is like catty corner. So they're Mm -hmm. like one car ahead and over. So then the Cadillac pulls up behind them fires the shots. And when they hear the shots being fired, they try to get out of there. So they start to turn right onto the the intersection there. And the Cadillac hurries up and tries to peel out and almost hits their car because they're like, they're trying to get away. And she's trying to get away because she's like, holy shit, there's shots being fired. Like, Mm -hmm. I want to get out of here. But it just seems like, I don't know. But then, but then you've got a situation where 
most people involved aren't going to want to talk to police. Well, of course not. I mean, look at the climate of police. Mm-hmm. And most of them are involved in, a lot of people in, in this particular situation are involved in gang activity. Mm-hmm. They don't want to talk to police, you know, but it's just like, it seems like somebody would have been like, oh yeah, and the white Cadillac, I saw it make, you know, an abrupt U-turn or whatever. It just seems like there'd be something to support Keefe D's story. Well, yeah, but what I heard from one of the investigators was he said that after it happened, everybody scattered. Yeah. So. Exactly, because again, there was no one to interview. Yeah, they don't want to be. They don't want to be sitting there and have to talk to the police. Well, and look at how Tupac reacted. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So another theory is that Puffy paid a million dollars to have Tupac and Suge Knight killed by Crip gang members. The, actually, Keefe D says this. This too. That's ridiculous. So which is it, dude? Did Puffy pay you or did you kill him in retaliation for Baby Lane's beatdown? Mm-hmm. Can't ride two horses with one ass. Yeah. It doesn't seem like they'd both be true. Right. And he's like, he says that he agreed to do the job and he wasn't planning on doing it in Vegas. But when they ended up beating up Baby Lane, they were like, oh, kill two birds with one stone. Like, I'm like, what are the fucking odds, dude? Like, it's just so ridiculous. Uh uh. Yeah. But he said that he would pay a million dollars to have Tupac and Suge Knight killed by Crip gang members. When Suge Knight wasn't killed, it's alleged that Knight then paid Bloods $13,000 to kill Biggie. Neither of these have been proven to be fact, but they are still out there as possibilities. So, I don't put it past Suge Knight at all to hire a hit. No, I mean, I don't either. But at the same time, it's ridiculous. I think that what the part of it where I'm like, absolutely not is the puffy paying $1 million to have Tupac and Suge taken out. Yeah. That didn't happen. I don't deny because what I think happened was probably, and I don't know. I don't know if drugs had anything to do with this or what, but Suge Knight, I don't know what he was, if anything, putting into Pac's head. Mm-hmm. But it seems like anything that happened to them, whether or not it was related, they were all like, oh, you see what Puffy and Biggie are doing? You see what they're, they're how they're coming at us? Yeah, exactly. Because Tupac was getting more and more and more paranoid as time went on. And I think that's a direct result of being that close to Suge Knight. <laughs> exactly. Because Suge is doing what? Because what does Suge see in Tupac? Dollar I love, signs. Exactly. But I love how like passionate you're getting you're like and then it's like uh, and, and I know uh, I just I fucking hate Suge Knight like he's just well, the course. worst and like you know what does he see in him but dollar signs so he's gonna do anything that he can to make sure that Tupac is like yeah to cash in on this shit yeah and trust him and trust him alone you know well that's what people do you gotta isolate he's isolating him exactly and in the unsolved series on Netflix, which you guys, if you haven't watched that, it's really well done. And Detective Greg Kading, who had been on the task force when they reopened the case, said that it was super factually correct, too. But it, it was just, it was really good. But in this scene, they show Tupac saying, which, by the way, I think they got Tupac to play Tupac. Right? The dude that played him dude, looks exactly like it. That kind of stuff is why I'm like hologram holograms. Holograms? Holographs? Holographs? 
hollows are <laughs> totally either they're really, really good or Tupac is not dead. I know. I was like, dude, Tupac plays Tupac. Like, mm-hmm. it's insane. But this kid looks exactly like him. I mean, it's insane. Um, but in the car while they're driving down, you know, he's like, and I know liberties were taken here, but I do think that this is how Tupac felt. He like in the scene, he's saying like, you're the only one that's been there for me. Like you're the only one I can trust kind of thing, you mm-hmm. know, like and that's- you've been there, you've helped me. And that's exactly what Suge Knight was going for. Yeah. You can't trust anybody else. Like it's just me. Yep, it's like us against the world, right? Yeah, and by this time, they already figured out, like Tupac found out that the the quad shooting at that studio mm-hmm. had nothing to do with Biggie and Puffy. Mm-hmm. But by now, the the damage is already done. The beef has already gone too far. You know, they've already, now they've said things they can't take back and shit like that. But- Well, it's like one of those things where you're, you're so committed to the feeling. You don't even know, like you're in an argument. You have no idea why it even started, but you can't go back now. I mean, mm-hmm. you've already, yeah. Yeah, it just, it, it was too far gone at this point. But by this point, he does know that they didn't set it up. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting that, again, that Suge Knight was still able to keep in his head, you mm-hmm. know, you got to watch out for Biggie. Like, look at what he's going to do to you. Yep. It just sucks. Another Biggie theory is that Suge Knight paid corrupt LAPD officers to kill him. Again, wouldn't put it past him. Wouldn't put it past him. That apparently never panned out, but apparently the only organization to investigate that was the LAPD. So, See, I think that what we can possibly all agree on is Tupac's death is the biggest question. Biggie's death came as a direct result of Suge Knight and spewing this vitriol of he killed Tupac. Mm -hmm. So as a retaliation, Biggie was killed. I think so. And I really feel like Tupac was killed because of the attack on Baby Lane. I do too. I mean, it's if he wasn't, what a fucking coincidence. Right. And I feel like... A lot of things that happen in murder cases, there's no way that there are that many coincidences. Right. Yeah. Author John Potash claimed in his 2008 book, The FBI War on Tupac Shakur and Black Leaders, he claimed that the FBI was behind both Wallace's and Shakur's murders, citing 12 years of research, hundreds of interviews, and countless court documents. Potash alleges that the FBI wanted to end the violent rap culture of the 90s and utilized counterintelligence programs to target leftist musicians. What? That feels a little Sherry Shriner reptilian to me. Yeah, me too. Because why? Okay, if that's the if that's the route we're taking, I mean, the biggest two artists of that time were Pac and Biggie, but still, they mm-hmm. left a lot of other ones. Yeah, they left NWA yeah. and they had fucked the police. <laughs> like, I mean, my God, like in Dr. Dre and Snoop mm-hmm. Dogg, they were putting out stuff too. I'm sorry, Snoop Doggy Dog were putting out a lot of shit too. Yeah. Snoop Snoopy Dog. Yeah. What was that in? Who said that? I it can't remember. I can't remember. I know. I can't Snoop, remember. Snoopy Dog. But yeah, they would like <clears throat> that. That is so fucking far fetched to me. Like, I'm just, ridiculous. I can't get into a conspiracy theory like that. I just can't. No, that the American government would take out, I don't know. I just, if that was their goal, they did a fucking horrible job. Because mm-hmm. like you said, they left a shit ton of other people. Like, yeah. 
it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. One last and perhaps the most out there theory, which we, you know, if we thought that one was out there, <laughs> here we go, is that they're actually both still alive and well, enjoying life outside the public spotlight. I haven't heard that with Biggie as much as I've heard it about Tupac. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of people that believe he is still alive. Yes, I've heard that with Elvis and Tupac the most. Uh-huh. And I guess people felt there is a group of people that feels the same way about Avicii that he's still alive and like faked his death or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Andrew would I be don't pleased. Know. I know Andrew loves Avicii. He loves Tupac too. I mean, he, I think he was more of a notorious B.I.G. fan, but he does. He does yeah, like Tupac definitely. Both of their influence on the rap community is undeniable. They're credited by literally almost every rapper out there as being the inspiration behind why they started rapping to begin with. Eminem actually wrote a letter to Tupac's mother thanking her for things she has done for him over the years and including a drawing he did. And it's an undated letter. Not really sure when it was written, but it says, Dear Afini, sorry if it looks a little sloppy. I could have done a little better if I had the right pencils. Instead, I had to draw it in pen. Plus, I just kind of thought of the idea a little too late. But I've been drawing since I was 10 and I thought you might like it. Anyways, thank you for always being so kind to me. You're a true queen, and I mean that in every sense of the word. I will never forget the opportunities you've given me. You will always be in my heart, my thoughts, and my prayers. As I've said before, you have no idea how much your son and his music has inspired not only the hip-hop world, but speaking for myself, has inspired my whole career. He was and still is the true definition of a soldier. When I was feeling at my worst, before fame, before Dre, I knew I could put that Tupac tape in and suddenly things weren't so bad. He gave me the courage to stand up and say, fuck the world. This is who I am. And if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. Thank you for giving us his spirit and yours. God bless you. Love, Marshall. The crazy or I don't know, the super sad part of this whole thing is that even with all these theories, even with all these speculations, you know, there have been several investigations. There was the original investigation right after the murders happened. And then they reopened the task force into the Biggie murder, the LAPD did. And they're both still unsolved. I can't. It's just the so investigations sad. just never went anywhere. And I think, I mean, a lot of the people involved or that would have been there, like you said, everybody scattered. They didn't have very many witnesses to interview up front. Well, and with Tupac's for sure, I'm sure with Biggie's as well, they didn't secure mm-hmm. the crime scene. Right. Yeah. You're, it's in the street. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got all that. And no and offense, then, but they bite cops. <laughs> yeah. We can do. Yeah. Exactly. And then a lot of them, have passed away now from mm-hmm. other incidents. So Which feels like no closure, right? I mean, if it comes out that it was Baby Lane, mm-hmm. there's no vengeance. There's no justice there. No. He can't pay. Right. Yeah. I just, I feel so sorry for their moms. Oh, like, yeah. And their children. Well, yeah. Biggie's children. Yeah. Just, yeah. What they had to deal with, with the not knowing. And it's just sad. And with, Biggie's kids not knowing his, their father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he d- he definitely wanted to be involved in their lives. Yeah. At the very least to provide, provide for financially them. Mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Yeah. Just sad. It is sad. But that's it. Ugh. That was heavy. I feel kind of drained emotionally. I know. It's... It is. And it was... I mean, that's definitely a case that I didn't know a whole hell of a lot about. I had just never really, like, dove into it. But there's a lot of moving pieces, man. Mm-hmm. It's a big case. 
Oh, absolutely. But I'm glad that we did it and I'm glad that we know more now and I'm glad that we talked about it. So I'm interested to see what you guys think too. Like um, if you think it had to do, like Tupac's had to do with Baby Lane. Do you think Biggie was a retaliation from Suge? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's where we both kind of land. You do too. Yeah. Like I think, I think Tupac was, like we said, direct result of the MGM incident. Mm -hmm. And then I think, I think Suge, had Biggie taken out. I do too. Because he just, he was just so vindictive. And and I think Biggie was right to have his fears about this is going to yeah. fall on me. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. But let us know what you guys think. We'll have, we always have a post on Instagram that, you know, shows that the episode has been released. So let us know what you guys think there or in the Facebook group or, you know. Wherever you see fit. But yeah, let's get a conversation going. Let's talk about it. Definitely. But thank you so much for listening and we will catch you on the next case. Bye. Oh my God, Torella. So I have to clean out my desk later because I'm moving, you know. (laughs) And I found found this card. It's a birthday card and it's got a hot dog on it with googly eyes. And this is from? It's from Miss KB. Uh Uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. And when I open it, listen to the song. And it says, can I be frank? I really hope your birthday's a wiener. Oh, my God. (laughs) Love, Dad. I hope your birthday's a wiener. A wiener. It's my favorite thing ever. Like, I'm literally never getting rid of those. That's the best card I've ever... We should start, like, saying that to people. Like, I hope hope your birthday's a wiener. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. The music, even. Miss KB, oh. you're the real wiener here. Yep. It was perfectly done. Love it so much. <laughs> My favorite. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 